We've got to ask you if you want to have a question in the silver chair. Have you got hair on your balls yet? What do you think of all the teeny bop fans you've got? Um, I'd like to ask silver chair if like, it bothers them that they have like young fans, like 10 or 12 year olds. We don't care how old people are, really. Yeah, they could be um, three years old to 86 years old. We wouldn't care. What about if they're 87? I don't care. Shut up. Hello and welcome to Too Much of Not Enough, a Silverchair podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Hedger, and in this episode, I'll be talking about Silverchair's very first release, 1994's Tomorrow EP. Before we get started, I want to say a few things about the process of making this podcast. This project started as a labor of love more than two years ago now. Uh, Lots of things have happened since then to make the process longer than I ever thought possible. Technical issues, self-doubt, possible copyright problems. Let's see how we go with that because there's nothing I dislike more than music podcasts that don't play the music they're talking about. I also had a child and that takes up a lot of my time as well. So if you hear some differences in sound quality or my voice sounds different, that's just life getting in the way. So let's get started. Let me introduce myself a little so you have some background about my relationship to Silverchair. I am five years younger than the members of Silverchair, and as such, even when they were in a fallow period or I thought I was too cool for them, I always had one eye on what they were doing because, in a way, they represented what someone of a similar age and generation could do. As a young musician, it was both inspiring and intimidating. So, like I said, I'm five years younger than the members of Silverchair, so I was ten when I first heard the Tomorrow EP. I think a friend's sister had the EP on a CD and taped it for me onto a cassette, and I basically wore that tape out. That's a pretty formative age to discover a band like Silverchair, and... Like people say about the Harry Potter books, I grew up with the members of Silverchair and saw them grow musically. They lost some fans along the way, but picked up others. In short, they went from a pretty good teen rock band to genuine artists making exciting music. Um, And I wanted to make a podcast about Silverchair because, first of all, they're obviously a band that has always interested me. Um, And I feel, despite their popularity in Australia, never really got their due as artists, especially overseas. Also, I searched and I could not find another podcast about Silverchair, which I sort of found a bit shocking considering their place in the pantheon of Australian music. Finally, I just wanted to explore the music again. Um, I've been hearing this music for 20 plus years and that is somewhat etched into my psyche and I wanted to collect my thoughts about it and, and really just rediscover the music and hopefully have some fun along the way. My plan for the structure of this podcast will be that Each episode, I'll be talking about one release from the band um, with some biographical information along with the discussion of the music. 
I imagine these podcasts will get more involved and complex as the albums go on, because that's what the albums do. So, let's get started. Sewerchair was a band from Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia, made up of singer-songwriter and guitarist Daniel Johns, bassist Chris Joiner, and drummer Ben Gillies. They formed as teenagers in the early 90s, playing Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath covers under the name Innocent Criminals. Uh, in the very early days, it was a second guitarist, Tobin Finane, but when his family moved to the UK, the band continued as a trio. In April 1994, when the trio were 14 going on 15, they entered a Battle of the Bands competition called Pick Me, run by the SBS TV show Nomad and the radio station Triple J. Uh, as bassist Chris Joanne put it in an early interview. First we were, um, Ben and Daniel were just um, jamming in his Ben's garage and um, um, they asked me to play and we just were mucking around and um, we uh, started, well Ben and Daniel started writing songs and um, we ended a demo comp with the song Tomorrow and um, it actually very surprisingly won and um, the prize for that was to record a song in the studio and um, make a film clip and um, we did all that and the actual song started getting airplay on um, a radio station in Australia, Triple J and um, the film clip went to where and somebody from the record company must have seen it and offered us a record contract. So, as you just heard, uh, the band won the competition with a song called Tomorrow, and as part of their prize received studio session time and a filmed video clip, and by now the band had changed its name to Silverchair. Based on winning the Nomad competition and the subsequent airplay, there was a bidding war between record labels, with the winner ultimately being Murmur, a new subsidiary of Sony Music. Silverchair was only their second signing, after the Perth band Ammonia. The band ultimately went with Murmur over Mushroom, the other big player at the time, because they allowed the band more creative freedom and seemed to understand what the band was trying to do and where the band was coming from creatively. Mushroom really wanted to play up the young rockers angle and didn't seem as interested in the band having any longevity. And that's something that Murmur did really well. They positioned the band not as teen idols for like Dolly Magazine, as many good-looking teen music stars would have been. Silverchair would be all about the music. They were aware that the band wouldn't come off well in the serious music press, so their media exposure was initially limited to street press, which allowed them to build word-of-mouth bars and a little underground cred. Sony's A&R manager, John Watson, who had signed the band and eventually left Murmur officially to become their manager, called this the anti-marketing strategy and made sure that all publicity was focused on the music. Murmur didn't want the media to turn them into a teeny bopper band. At the start, we in Australia, we just limited the amount of interviews we did. It was like um, all the big magazines and teen magazines and stuff. We turned down all interviews from them just to avoid overexposure and stuff like that. And we just did interviews for street press and um, fanzines and stuff like that. And um, after a while of doing that, we decided to do... Um, <clears throat> some magazines like um, <coughs> Rolling Stone and stuff, but we still, we didn't go anywhere near the team magazines just to keep, like, underground and not, not like, be exposed to all the teen things or whatever. And all this was before their debut EP was even released. It's all very 90s, isn't it? 
The name Silverchair came with a story that it was a combination of a misspelling of the Nirvana song Sliver and the UMI song Berlin Chair. Many years later, the band admitted this was a lie, and as everyone suspected, the name was from the Chronicles of Narnia book, The Silver Chair, whittled down from many potential names. The, the whole thread of not being straight with the media as to where the band name came from is revealing, and it's something that will recur as the band's career goes on. Having credibility was a big thing in this era of music, and being teenagers, the band was very wary of A, not seeming like children, and B, seeming cool which is another thing that's very important when you're a teenager. So, of course, they named their band after two cool songs, not a children's book. Duh. So, the Tomorrow EP was released in September 1994. Four tracks, Tomorrow, Acid Rain, Blind, and Stoned. It spent six weeks at the top of the ARIA singles charts. These three 15-year-old kids, one week, they're in a band, playing in the garage, like any other band, like I was in, like I'm sure a lot of people out there were. They entered a battle of the bands. The next week, they've won the competition and assigned to Sony with the top single in the country. So, what was so special? Well, at the beginning, not a lot. But for sure, we have to talk about the novelty of three kids playing rock and roll very well. And that's what the music was back then. Rock and roll. You have to remember this was the grunge era or the tail end of it. Kurt Cobain had died the same month that Silverchair won the Nomad competition. But alternative music was in fashion, and for sure that was Triple J's bread and butter for many years. So that was the milieu they were in. But it would be wrong to say that they were directly inspired by the American grunge scene as much as they were influenced by what those bands were influenced by, as well as the Australian alternative music at the time. I mean, they were fans of that American scene to some extent, Pearl Jam especially on the first EP, but their influence was overstated as the years went on. I distinctly remember an old early interview with Silverchair where they talked about listening to their parents' old records and gravitating to Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and so on. When they hosted Rage in 1995, that's what they played, alongside more current bands like Helmet and Roland's band. It's probably where I first saw those older bands too. The thing people maybe forget is that Daniel Johns, even from this young age, had an understanding of songcraft that some even fully grown bands don't develop. And that was, especially as they evolved from album to album, would be a defining feature. Uh, no matter how out there or arty the band got, they always wrote fantastic songs with gorgeous melodies and hooks to keep people interested. The Tomorrow EP has four songs, but it's possible most people only know the title track. In fact, if you're not Australian, you might not even know this version of the song, since it was re-recorded for their debut album Frog Stomp and released overseas as the lead single. They even shot a flash new video for it for the American market directed by the guy who directed Pearl Jam's Jeremy video. But at the moment I'm talking about the original recording. And you know what it sounds like? Very talented teenagers, but teenagers all the same. There's nothing groundbreaking, but like I said, the song craft was there. Recorded at the Triple J Studios in Sydney across two sessions, the Tomorrow EP was produced and engineered by Triple J producer Phil McCalla. Daniel and Ben share writing credits on all the songs, something that became rarer and rarer as the career progressed. According to Jeff Apted's book A New Tomorrow, the song Tomorrow was written by Daniel and Ben during a jam session. The book quotes Ben as saying, We were jamming, and Daniel sang the line, You wait till tomorrow. And I went, man, that's a cool line. He didn't really like it, but I managed to convince him. Then we sat down with a couple of acoustic guitars and wrote the verse and the chorus and the pre-chorus. 
Tomorrow, a song that made a career for three kids from Merriweather, Newcastle. That's a lot to live up to. What do I think of the song? It's good. It's especially good for how old they were when they wrote it. Though if you compare it to the original six-minute version they submitted to the Nomad competition, you can see how producers and mentors along the way helped shape it into something a little more radio-friendly. Daniel John said he'd seen a TV documentary about a rich guy who had to experience living as a poor person for one night. And that is pretty clearly reflected in tomorrow's lyrics. You're gonna wait till fat boy, wait till tomorrow. The fat boy uh, being the man who's so rich he's fat with greed. And if you've seen the US video clip, there's a pig face man character literally eating money. So, subtle. Musically, Tomorrow has that soft verse, heavy chorus thing that was so associated with the grunge era, especially Nirvana, that if you squint, you can sort of see where people were coming from with that criticism. But do you remember what rock music sounded like in 1994? Everything sounded like that. And these guys were 15. The band I was in when I was 15 sounded exactly like Rage Against the Machine, and we couldn't write hooks like Tomorrow. Also, something interesting about those heavy power chords in the chorus and pre-chorus those aren't just your average power chords. They use a nifty little trick where you play the fourth below your main chord by fretting the sixth string. So in tomorrow, that D chord becomes a D with an A in the bass, which is cool because the song's in A major. Playing a chord like this has the double effect of making it sound heavier and also giving it more tonal color. Oh, by the way, that guitar solo Daniel didn't do too many traditional guitar solos, especially later on, but that's a pretty tasteful rock guitar solo, especially from a 15-year-old, that's something. There's an article The Guardian did in 2014 for tomorrow's 20th anniversary that got at some of the song's impact, and I'll just read a section. In the wake of tomorrow's success, Local radio stations and magazines started paying more attention to the music emanating from garages and rehearsal spaces across the country, rather than taking their cues from overseas. The Australian music industry grew in size and confidence as the 90s progressed, spawning major events like Homebake and nurturing a slew of chart-topping bands from the living end to Jebediah. So Tomorrow's not my favourite Silverchair song, but it's so important that I'm kind of obsessed with how much they eventually dismissed it, and to be honest, a lot of their early work as their career progressed. But we'll get to that in future episodes. Me and Ben just come up with a song, like a riff on a guitar or something, and then we'll just jam to that for a while and think of other ideas and just combine it and make it into a song. And then we'll just arrange it, um, just arrange it properly, and then I'll just write the lyrics, and then we'll get into Ben's garage one time and just jam around to it, see if we can improve it. On this first EP, Silverchair did not yet have much of a musical identity. Like I said, they sound like a pretty accomplished band of 15-year-olds with some potential based on the songwriting. Daniel's putting on a bit of a voice, perhaps in an effort to sound older, but it makes him sound like Eddie Vedder, which only gave the band's detractors more ammo. Another note on how big this EP was, aside from Tomorrow, 
Two of the other songs ended up in American movies. A re-recorded version of Blind appears in the Jim Carrey film The Cable Guy during the medieval time scene, and Stoned is in the Kevin Smith film Morat. This is Acid Rain. The main thing I can say about this song is that it was one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar, or at least that main riff. This is the weakest song on the EP probably, and one of the weakest in their whole catalogue really. Still not bad. Blind and Stoned are, I believe, the only Sewerchair songs to contain swear words. I remember being told during this time that they did an interview where they said they would never swear in their songs again. Uh, and I don't know if that's true, but as far as I know, they stuck to it after this. So on their first recording, they got their F word and their S word out of their system. I guess that's typical for 15 year olds wanting to swear on the first recording they do. Blind is a heavy guitar driven song that, basic as it is, still contains hooks. Stoned is, again, solid, but nothing too special. It's a power ballad. And you see shades of later songs here, such as Shade, maybe even Abuse Me. For a four-song EP made by three 15-year-olds in 1994, there's not a lot of variety, but there's enough to show promise. If you were being cynical, you could say Silverchair were almost undeserving when they hit it big, and it was the novelty of their young age that initially propelled them. But even if you believed that, you'd have to admit that when they got their shot, they didn't throw it away. I can't overstate how big Silverchair was in this era in Australia after that one recording, and how that kind of messed with them moving forward. The song was all over the radio, it was number 5 on Triple J's Hottest 100, they were offered a spot on the Big Day Out Music Festival, all before their first album. So I know I'm spending a lot of time on just this first Tomorrow EP, but I really want to impress on people how important that first single was, and how it seems that, for the rest of their career, they were trying to escape that early success. It was literally the first thing they'd ever recorded that wasn't a demo, and it became the number one single in the country. So you can understand why they might not have been comfortable with that success and being pigeonholed as that band. I don't know about you, but the band that I was in when I was 15 was not the band I would have wanted to define me. As soon as they were able, they cut tomorrow from their set list. There's a, a clip on YouTube of Daniel playing it solo during the Neon Borum tour. And then there's the Melbourne Park concert that Channel V filmed on the same tour, where they start to play it, but just as it's getting to the chorus, it becomes the song Satin Sheets from Neon Ballroom. I don't think they played it at all after that tour. Even as early as the 1995 ARIA Awards, where Tomorrow won Single of the Year, Highest Selling Single, and Breakthrough Artist, when Silverchair actually had the opportunity to perform, they chose to do a cover rather than one of their own songs. They recognised that Tomorrow was becoming overexposed, and they chose a pretty obscure cover too for the time. They performed Radio Birdman's New Race, 
again just highlighting how they were into an earlier era of rock music. And Tim Rogers from UMI joined on that performance, giving them a bit of rock cred that acted almost like armour against the snobby music establishment at the time that gave Sewerchair so much shit in the early days. But that's for another episode. On the next episode, 1995's Frog Stomp. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you tomorrow. Not really. This podcast is written and produced by me, Daniel Hedger. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends, or your enemies if they like Silverchair. You can also write a review in Apple Podcasts, or rank the show five stars because that helps with the rankings. You can follow me on Instagram at Silverchair Podcast and Facebook at facebook.com slash silverchairpodcast. You can also email me at silverchairpodcast at gmail.com. All music is by Silverchair, owned by Murmur and 11 music publishers. I believe all music is being used with a fair use exemption for criticism as per copyright.com.au slash about copyright slash exceptions. I've also judiciously utilized YouTube for old interview clips. If you happen to be one of the owners, I will happily remove the clips from this recording. However, I suspect most of those clips no longer exist outside of YouTube. And in addition to fair use, I consider what I'm doing akin to archival work. Thank you.